my to-do list was really long and things would be at the bottom and I would just forget them, they'd fall out of my head. But once I was able to flip it around and make those small promises and just keep one after every interaction, it made a measurable, measurable difference. This is Skilled by Design, a podcast for experienced designers and product managers that want to deliberately grow their skills and become better humans in the process. I'm your host, Tommy Bay, and today I'm talking with Austin Govella. He is the co-founder of Synergure Alliance, which is a consulting firm that focuses on employee experience. He's also been a designer for 25 years and has helped with user experiences at companies of all sizes. He is also the author of a few books. One is about information architecture. Uh, one is called Collaborative Product Design. And he's got one coming out soon that's about workshops that he'll have to tell us about. Um, but that kind of led us to the topic of, of building trust. So I'm excited to talk to him about that today. So Austin, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's something I'm uh, pretty passionate about. Well, that's great. And it's something that we are in desperate need of, uh, generally speaking, today. Uh, more trust in our society. So uh, where where can we start? Can we talk a little bit about your books and your writing? Because I feel like at least your last, so your collaborative product design, um, I think, touches on on the trust subject and then what's the newest book that you're working on or is about to come out work the room it's a, a book about workshop workshop facilitation okay yeah perfect so uh tell me a little bit about the process of of writing that like why you wanted to write it and and what it's been like oh well i um i love workshops and i think part of the reason that's because i love I love hearing people's stories. You always get that in a workshop. You hear kind of their their perspective on something. And I just I just really love workshops. So there aren't a lot of books specifically about facilitation. And this is just about how you move people around the room. Um, so there's no activities to run. There's nothing about the workshop design. Uh, it's just about how do you get people to talk or how do you get people to stop talking, right? Kind of just, just how do you move them out the room? And actually it was while writing, writing this book that I had the epiphany about how important trust was to not just not just to like my practice as a designer, but to actually workshop facilitation itself. I was wrapping up the book and you always kind of step back when you're writing and you kind of look at the full, because you've been editing in small little chunks, but you step back, you look at the full kind of end to end and you ask yourself, you know, does, does this, does the argument I'm making make sense? And, and a lot of times I like to ask myself, well, what's the next obvious question, right? And to see if I need to answer that. The next obvious question when I was writing this was, well, why would they listen to the facilitator? Like what makes, what makes people sit there and want to trust what the facilitator is telling them and then follow, you know, follow those instructions and follow those leads. Mm. Um, and so I ended up putting, adding that entire, entire chapter on building trust with your participants uh, because I had the epiphany that that's why they follow along. They trust the process or they trust you as a facilitator. Hopefully they trust both. They trust that the problem you're kind of workshopping on is, is something that's worth their time. Um, it's important to the organization that uh, the time they put into the workshop will pay a dividend later. That's not just going to be you walk in, you walk out, and then it's, it's all gone. So that was kind of a, a big a big epiphany for me that there are all these things I do around a workshop um, that really they're really about building trust. 
And I thought they were just, you know, send a pre-read, you send a nice invite and you send a reminder. Uh, but there's all these things that you can do and they just build, slowly build trust. And it starts, and uh, one of the things I discovered is it starts way before the workshop. Um, so I'm a big fan of you send like a save the date info, save the date invite, like four weeks ahead of time, way ahead, as far ahead as you can. And usually at that point, you don't have a full agenda figured out where you send the save the date, you tell them what's gonna come next. And then when you have the full agenda, you follow up, give them the full agenda, and then you send them a pre-read, and then you send them a reminder the day before. All those little steps let them know that you have a process, right? That there's something there to trust, and they trust that you're following the process and they can they can follow your lead. So when they walk in, you know, the morning of the workshop, you we've already had several weeks of interactions with the group, and they've already built some level of trust with you. Whenever I've noticed when I do workshops, when I've had the chance to kind of do the full process, the full ahead of time process, the, they go off much better than workshops where it's just real quick, let's jump in the room and you have to get to know everybody right there. Like there's, there's a difference in, in how quickly you get to, to being effective in the workshop when you're able to build the trust ahead of time. I actually, on, on my website under workshop resources, there's a workshop checklist that kind of goes over there's like 27 activities. I kind of mapped it all out. 27 potential activities you can do around not counting the workshop itself. So things to do ahead of time and then a couple of things to do after the workshop. And they all go towards building the trust. They do other things too. Like they inform you about what's going to go on and tell you what you're talking about. But I really think the primary value they, they provide is just building the trust. So once you're in the workshop, uh, everybody everybody's ready to go and they'll listen to you and they're, they're ready to invest their time and, and participate in the discussions. That's a really great overview and a good introduction. To expound on the problem part, where have you seen trust in your experience? Where have you seen trust become a big factor? Like in your work, where, is, where does trust matter most? Like as we have this conversation, where should people be you know, thinking? Yeah, I actually didn't start my trust journey with workshops. That was an epiphany I had while working on, on this facilitation material. But at work, um, I was always perceived as the flaky designer. I, I see time as fuzzy. <laughs> I, I tell project managers when I, meet, when I meet them that my important deliverables will always be a day late because I always will stop and decide that it's worth the extra day worth of revisions to, to be awesome. Right? Just one more day, it'll be, we'll go just to level up. I tell them I'll always be late to meetings, right? I break my project managers in. And, and I noticed that at work that I, I was perceived as like the flaky, the flaky designer, even though they trusted me with big projects. So when the big project came in or something important was, was coming up, I was someone they handed the ball to. So they did trust my work and my ability to work with clients and, and do projects. But the, the perception as the flaky designer really, really got to me, right? It really just, I, I had like, you know, some soul searching. I, you know, did some kind of interviews with people I reported to and other, other senior people and people who knew me, just kind of talking about trying to, trying to get the sense of kind of how they saw me, what the problem was. And out of this, they one of them recommended a book called The Trusted Advisor. It's, it's by David Meister, Charlie Green. And they, they talk about how do you become a trusted advisor? And one of the things that I've always positioned myself as a designer, whether I'm working in consulting or externally at an agency, or if I'm working internally at a, at a full-time at a company, you're always kind of a consultant, right? You're, so you're always trying to advise the rest of the organizations around you. 
So um, I'd actually read Trust Advisor 20 years ago, and I think I got it, but I don't think I really processed it. And so I went back and reread it after this recommendation. And I really wanted to not no longer be the, the flaky designer, right? But I also wanted to be more effective just in my work. So, so that, you know, as a designer, you make recommendations and you want the client to, to listen to your recommendations, right? If you can't persuade people about some of the choices you're making, then not, you're really not making much of an impact. It's a, a good read. It's pointed towards kind of management consultants. Like it's kind of that, that level of dryness, but mm-hmm. it's packed full of just talking about how do you build trust with, with your clients? Cool. Good recommendation. Okay. So it affects you everywhere. I love that you were pegged as the uh, flaky designer. I've definitely seen that with a lot of my colleagues and I don't know, it makes me wonder if I ever <laughs> uh, if, if I was ever seen that way or, or not, but man, yeah, it makes a big difference. So that's the problem. And there, and there's the value is being a more effective designer really across the board. And, uh, your focus has been on, on workshops. So, um, for anybody who's listening, that is not super familiar with workshops that, that a UX designer would run, or maybe you're, you know, you're new to the concept entirely. Uh, what kind of workshops do you typically run? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think broadly they fall under the under the kind of the umbrella of design thinking workshops. So if you wanted to kind of poke around more in that area, that that would kind of get you along the way. We run innovation workshops where you kind of help the client or the team uh, discover new approaches to a problem or new ways of framing something up, right? So they can they can develop new approaches. Or strategy workshops, they figure out where, where they want to be headed. And then, of course, uh, design workshops where you've already kind of framed up the problem, you already have your strategy figured out, and you're trying to figure out what real solution do we want to kind of focus on. So it, it's kind of like the design process in the end, but it's usually kind of chopped up in that way. You have the strategy workshops, you have innovation workshops, and then you have solution workshops. So the, the desired outcomes can vary when you set up a workshop and then run a workshop. But typically it's multiple people with a essentially a specific goal in mind that that has a facilitator that's moving them through it. Oh, absolutely. And the ideal is probably like six to 12 people and also people from different backgrounds, different um, when you're working with with kind of external groups, different silos. And a lot of time, a lot of times the, the workshop is the first time people, those people from those different silos have actually been in the same room talking to each other. Right? Just because everybody has their day job, everybody's busy doing their stuff, but you throw all these people in and it's that diversity of perspectives, which is what makes the workshop so powerful. So that workshops kind of do two things when you, when you kind of use that as a process, pointing that out at some problem. The, the first is a lot of people are familiar with the, the double diamond where you diverge and converge kind of two points. Because you have the diversity of perspectives, the workshops are very good at, at creating a divergence and the way that you're looking at the problem. So whether you're looking at your strategy or you're looking at how to, you know, what kind of problem are you going to approach or what types of solutions are you going to design? They're very good at diversifying kind of how the room looks at stuff. And oftentimes when you converge and you have that final, that final thing you walk out with at the end, whether that's your final strategy or you're like, this is a problem we're going to solve, or this is the solution we're going to implement. That is oftentimes not not in the same form as the initial idea. So, so the initial idea may have been there, there may have been a seed in those early kind of discussions, 
but through the process of the workshop, it has it has transformed and modified and become better and stronger because you have the diversity perspectives. And that's the second thing the workshops do. Once you have all these all these people with diverse backgrounds talking with each other, they're able to kind of get on the same page, have the same shared vision, have the same shared language. And then of course you you come down, you you converge your decision at the end of the workshop. So everybody is aligned. So you have this big diversification and then you have this alignment and workshops are fantastic for that. And you can imagine if you're talking to somebody, say you're in marketing and you're talking to somebody from IT, the first time you've spoken to them, and there's someone from HR, and it's the first time you've spoken to them, you're all kind of working around the same problem. You don't know these people. So your level of trust when you walk in, it's just that base level of human trust that you have when you, you walk up to the counter at you know, the coffee shop and order a coffee, right? Just that standard same level of trust. Hmm. It's tough to have deep conversations or be really honest to tell somebody their idea is stupid or that their idea really threatens you or moves your cheese. It's tough to have those types of kind of honest, honest conversations with, with low levels of trust. And that's when you, when you look into to workshops and facilitation, there is a lot of process that's involved, much the same way that designers have. There's lots of process with design. The process, though, is gives you something concrete to hang on to, to trust, while you're having all these potentially uncomfortable conversations with, with pe- people you possibly have not met before. And that process goes a long way to kind of helping make sure that people are comfortable. I like that idea. I was just imagining process as kind of the framework that that frees us up to to focus on important things. The process takes out a lot of the little distractions and decisions that um, that take away time. So I can see that having a strong process is uh, is a benefit when you're trying to build trust because it gives you more time to invest in the trust building rather than all of the other things that you might be distracted by. That's a really good point. And that that really kind of ties back to a lot of things that I think we do as designers just uh, intuitively or just because it's the way we've been taught all these years. And they talk about this in the trusted advisor, your client relationship is always emotional. It's always emotional. And if you think about it, humans are just, we're emotional creatures, right? All over decision-making, we like to think it's rational, but it's all based off just kind of these deep lizard brain emotions that just, you know, spring us towards a, towards an action. And if you're working with somebody on, on, a, on a project, they're probably on the hook for that, right? So there's, there's risk. So not only is it an emotional just conversation, every design conversation you have is just emotional. There's also risk for the other, other, other person. And if you can create an environment where, where they trust the process, then it's just like you said, you then have the kind of the mental space, the psychological space between the two of you to kind of build trust and build a relationship, right? So that, so that A, you can hear them, right? And trust what they're saying and understand what they're saying. And, and then B, that they can hear you same way that when you're making your recommendations or you're asking questions that, that, uh, that they're trusting kind of where you're coming from as well. So that process is really kind of creates a really strong foundation just to get all the process stuff out of your heads so you can spend your mental time working on the human communication piece, which is, as we all know, rife with danger. <laughs> so cool. Do you want to talk more specifically about some of the some of the, the skills that have contributed to being able to build trust quickly? 
I think you've alluded to some yeah. of them. Yeah, well, the one that the one that really got me was, and that I use all the time, is in every interaction, make one small promise, and then as soon as possible after that interaction, keep your promise. So, so a good example is you're you're in a meeting, and um, and that you're say you're reviewing some designs, and the client has a couple small changes. You say I'm going to make those changes. Then after the meeting, you make the changes and you send them the updated files. You've made the promise and you fulfill that promise. And even though this is a small, a small thing, that builds trust. And one of the arguments that Meister and Green make in the Trust Advisor is that those small promises, those are the ones that build the most trust with the client. So showing up to meetings on time or early, responding to emails um, more quickly rather than more slowly, doing what you say, say you're going to do, all those small things build more trust faster than big things. And that really resonated with me because I was that flaky designer where they would hand me the, the important footballs, right? So they did trust me for big things, but I definitely wasn't doing the small things, right? Like I was, my to-do list was really long and things would be at the bottom and I would just forget them, they'd fall out of my head. But once I was able to flip it around and make those small promises and just keep one after every interaction, it made a measurable, measurable difference in, in um, a time span of, of a few weeks. I remember with uh, one of my projects where I was really kind of putting this, putting this into practice and you know, experimenting, trying it out. I was, I was like five minutes late to a meeting and this was like halfway through the project and they were worried about me. I got a text message, just an email, like, are you okay? What's wrong? <laughs> and I'm the guy that always told people, warn them, I will be late to every meeting, right? That was the previous, previous Austin. But the the sum the sum of all those kind of tiny promises had create created such a such a level of trust that it wasn't that I was just flaky and late. I think it had a problem with teams. Teams wouldn't join or something like that. Uh, but there was something some other external factor right that was preventing trustworthy Austin from being on time, and that blew me away. Right, that was I was I that's still I still get a chuckle out of that. Uh, um, but it's the the small the small promises those really those really matter. And those are a great way to build trust really quickly. Love that. I think, you know, when I, when I think about people that I work with that I trust the most, they are those kinds of people. Like if they set an expectation with me, they meet it. And in a lot of cases, they'll exceed it. And that pushes that trust meter right up, up and up. They actually have a, they have a trust equation that they talk about in the book and it's actually available online. Uh, so they have an entire kind of website and I'll, I'll share the link kind of afterwards, but they have a, they have a trust equation and there are things in there that I think as designers and especially me as someone who considers, I, I spend a lot of time honing my craft and, and learning about learning about design and user experience. The equation that they've set out is that trust is a factor of your, your credibility. So you're, what you know, right? How you how you how you kind of speak to what you know, plus your your reliability, right? So your ability to kind of keep those promises, do what you say you're gonna do, and then plus plus intimacy. So the the idea that you're able to not just be all business all the time, but there's there's some human connection that you have there. Hmm. We kind of talked about that, right? Like if once you have the process that that kind of helps with the credibility and reliability that kind of makes them concrete, something that you just kind of do as part of the process and that frees up your your headspace um, to kind of develop the relationship part, the intimacy piece. But the other part of the equation is those are all kind of 
divided by um, what they call self-orientation. So that is how focused are you on yourself versus the person you're talking to? So does your client, do they feel like they're listened to? Um, do they feel like they've been heard? Do they feel like you trust what they're saying? Do they feel like that, that when they share their, their feedback about the work, that you're taking it at, not at face value, but it as, as kind of like their truth. Um, and that doesn't mean that you just do everything, they, everything they say. I think that we've all had clients where they've asked for just something kind of crazy. And you're, you're just, you kind of step back and quickly trying to start process about how you're not going to add blue and clowns to the website, but the, but feeling heard that piece is kind of like the foundation. If the, if the person you're working with doesn't feel heard, then your credibility and your reliability and any relationship that you've you've tried to create with them will be it's just seriously undercut. It won't go anywhere. That, that's, that's the argument they make in the uh, in the trusted advisor. And I, I think that's I think that's true. I think one of the things that I've always tried to do is make sure that whether it's with clients or in workshops, working with that room full of people, that they do feel heard, right? And they do feel like they're that they're, the investment. And the risk that they take when they when they express their opinion or their feedback or point of view, that you're taking that as it is, as as kind of like their truth, to be processed right as part of like your overall workshop or or design process. But to be fair, but but they feel heard, and that's how you get that those kind of diverse perspectives, and that's how you get better work. I wanted to ask a a quick question. We don't have to spend a ton of time, but. Uh, wanted to make sure we covered it. Hearing you talk about trust, uh, it reminds me that that sometimes we don't trust ourselves. I'm curious your thoughts about you know self trust and how it factors in, and how has that been a foundation for you? Like, do do you have to have trust in yourself before you can build trust with others, or do you build your own self trust as you build trust with others? Oh wow, that's such a good question. So I know the as part of the credibility part of the, the trust equation, you have to sound confident, right? So at least faking it at that level is important for kind of building trust with the people around you uh, in terms of your credibility. I always like to be just a little bit out over my skis, right? So I'm always just kind of not quite trusting that I have it, have it figured out. I think that's probably a common imposter syndrome type thing that, that a lot of designers have. Yeah. Um, and that's probably behind why I spend so much time kind of reading and learning about design all the time, right? I'm trying to trying to shore myself up so I feel so I feel good. I think the one thing that helped, because I, I didn't trust myself, I perceived myself as a flaky designer, right? Like that was something I had. But I, I do think taking these small actions and making them a habit has allowed me to trust myself more. And I don't know if that's that's a precondition, but I do think it's a practice that you can that you can do, that you can you can do the work and you can step back and say, I did a good job, right? This is competent professional work. Um, this is why, this is why I do this for a living, right? This is, this is something that people pay me for. Even if you can see all the flaws in it. And if you're able to kind of on the flip side, all of the other parts of kind of working as a designer, you know, managing your project and managing your clients and managing the work, if you're able to kind of kind of build trust through those processes as well, just as a practice, at least in my experience, as a practice, it was something that helped me trust myself more 
and be more confident and that I could build those relationships. Right. So, and, and have be more effective. I think that's great. I think that's probably an important thing for a lot of people to hear that, you know, building trust with yourself is a skill that you can develop and you can do the small things and, and start to build it. Uh, I know a lot of people worry. Yeah. It's that imposter syndrome. They worry that they shouldn't be where they are and aren't worthy to, to do what they're doing. But if you keep doing it and prove to yourself and others that, that you can fulfill those commitments. And I like, I like how you said that you can reflect that. Yeah, I, I did that. I can trust myself. Um, cool. All right. We always blow through this time so fast. Uh, okay. So what are your strongest recommendations? Uh, if somebody wanted to go and start, uh, working on, on building trust today, like what's something that somebody could do today to start to get better at that? I think the foundation is the self-orientation piece. And I don't know if that's because it's at the bottom of the, of the trust equation or not, but there really is something about, about active listening where you hear people, hear what people say and you repeat it back to them to make sure you said it right. And you ask follow-up questions. The follow-up questions are important because they make people feel like you did hear what they said. And you're trying to dive deeper and what they said was worth diving deeper on. I think it's, I think the active listening part is really important. And Indy Young actually had, had a book uh, several years ago on empathy specifically. And the majority of the book is <clears throat> about uh, using empathy as a research tool when you're listening, interviewing, interviewing your research participants. But then she spends the last part of the last third of the book talking about how do you build empathy with, with the people you work with, right? And people outside of work, just the people around you. And I, I think that that's, that's really indicative of how important being an active listener is, right? Because it doesn't just make the other person feel comfortable. You also hear all the little hooks, the little things you can follow up on. And that's what starts to build that intimacy part of the trust equation. So I think that the active listening is really important. And then I think the, the second thing is those small promises. Like I really saw a serious change, not in just how I feel about, you know, working with people. Like I don't feel like the flaky designer anymore, which is wonderful for me. But we do, there's more trust in the relationship, right? And I feel like I have, I'm, I can be more effective. They, they list my recommendations uh, better. Um, I'm, I'm able to move things in directions that I think are more beneficial for the user or the organization. I think those small promises uh, help make you, combined with uh, the active listening, help, help make you a trusted advisor and a better, a more effective designer overall. Fantastic. I'm, I was just flashing back to a conversation that we had, you and I previously about parenting. And I'm, I'm thinking about how, how relevant that is to, uh, to also raising kids. So great advice, not just in the workplace, but across the board, being able to, you know, make small promises and keep them. Uh, I think that that benefits us everywhere and the yeah, active sure. listening, active listening, of course. Great. Well, Austin, thank you for this conversation. Tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to connect with you or, or learn more about you and what you're doing. Yeah, sure. I think uh, I, I, of course, have have a website and a blog. It's at agux.co. And I think probably the best place to find me nowadays is on LinkedIn. I'm just Austin Gabella on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter and Mastodon. 
but who knows who knows where that all that's gonna 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 figure it out uh, but i'm happy if anybody has any questions about about any of this or about any of the resources i talked about or you want to talk about workshops like that's my particular nerd interest right so i'm always happy you know feel free to kind of just reach out and ping me and i'm happy to happy to chat awesome i think he really would love to hear from you so Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate getting to talk about the trust piece. I think it's important. Thanks so much. Yeah, definitely. And thanks to everybody listening in. It's been great having you. Remember, you can share this episode with, with anybody who'd like to learn more about building trust. And please, if you, if you have time to uh, leave a review on the podcast, that'd be great. Also, hit up our website and, and reach out. If you have suggestions for for other guests or other topics we'd love to hear them thanks again we'll see you next time on skilled by design